quick warning, this episode contains conversations about sexual assault, addiction, and depression. Listener discretion is advised. Everyone was really impressed by this thing that I could do, which was hangovers. Hangovers are just a form of withdrawal. Felt like there were a thousand voices in my head at all times. I'm really proud that I finally decided to follow my dreams. Welcome back, everyone. Today I'm here with Luke. I know him through Generation SOS. He's a sober speaker for us. Thank you so much, Luke, for coming on today. How are you doing? I'm great. It's my pleasure to be here. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I was born and raised in Manhattan, New York. Uh, I right now I make music, and uh, you know I'm currently in Miami, Florida, making music and and you know just staying sober. And and my favorite part of life now is using my story to, you know, kind of give back by, you know, offering advice i guess i wouldn't even really call it advice because i'm not really trying to tell anybody what they should or shouldn't do but you know if you could hear what i've been through and you know maybe use that information to kind of make decisions regarding your own life and and it might help somebody like that you know that's all i aim to do let's start from the beginning when did you first start using substances uh when i was 14 years old it was uh the summer between middle school and high school you know, I was I was encouraged to start drinking because I was told that that's what all the cool kids were doing. By, you know, 10th grade, it was like every weekend. And then by 11th grade, you know, it was like every Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then by the time I was a senior in high school, I was drinking during my lunch periods. Um, and like during the school day, you know, I would you know, we would all drink together and then return like during our lunch break. And we had like three more classes after, but we'd show up pretty drunk, like back to school. Um, and then by the end of my senior year of high school, I was like drinking some mornings, like Friday mornings, pretty much. Um, and then every day during lunch, you know, and so it just, it ramped up really quickly. Um, so this is now 2015 when I start NYU um, and I join a frat you know, the pledging part, like they give you like, you know, things to do that are not, you know, not fun. And I was like, I'm going to show them like, you know, whatever they ask. So it just became most of it involved drinking. And so, you know, they'd be like, chug this thing. And they would think it's a lot. And I'd be like, all right, cool. I'm going to chug this thing. And then also throw two beers on top of that and then throw a couple shots on it and we'll call it a day. And so they instantly loved me because like, I just kept one upping everything they told me to do. And, and so, you know, I became this, like, they would put me in the center of the room at parties where everyone else had to work and all they would ask me to do. And like, everyone's like sweeping the floors and like bartending. And for me, they would just gather all the brothers and every, all the girls and everyone who was at the party. And they would just pour these mixed cocktails for me of like beer, Everclear, rum, tequila, and like put it in one glass. And they'd be like, chug this. And I'd be like, easy. And that was my party trick. And I got like, if you know everyone was really impressed by this thing that I could do I would just keep coming home like barely able to speak uh to the point where when they were like uh offering out pledge names I was like pledge I can't feel my face because I was just always like that bad you know and uh but I enjoyed it and it got 
even worse when I noticed the progression of my drinking, it was like drinking with friends, drinking at parties. It was always like a social thing for me. But then sophomore year of college is when I met this girl that like I fell madly in love with and uh, she became my drinking buddy. And then when I met her, it was like everything that I did felt like a party. The drinking, like it didn't, increase because I was already doing it so frequently, but I didn't need a party or a group of people anymore. So she and I were just drinking like we drink before dinners, at dinner, after dinner, before movies, during movies, after movies. And it was like became every day me and her drinking for everything we did. But then, you know, she eventually was like, this is kind of dark and I don't enjoy doing this and I don't want to do this anymore. Right. But I was already hooked without realizing that I was hooked. And so I was kind of like, oh, okay, but but I would drink and she wouldn't. And that was like the first time that I was drinking alone, but it didn't feel like I was drinking alone because I was drinking with my drinking buddy. She was just taking a break. And that was the gateway to me drinking like completely by myself. Because then when she and I broke up, I just continued the pattern of drinking alone. I was doing it anyways. I just didn't realize I was doing it. The majority of times that I was getting drunk became me blacking out in my room alone to go to sleep. Hangovers hangovers are just a form of withdrawal. And uh, I learned that and I said, oh, so like I can make the withdrawal go away by drinking in the morning. And then that's, you know, it just became this like terrible cycle where I was always drinking um, like 24 uh, seven. And then the, the re- one of the reasons I liked it so much was because it was for the first time in my life that I didn't feel like overwhelming, crippling anxiety that like, I, you know, it had a physical sensation to it for me. And like, it just made me overthink everything. And it felt like there were a thousand voices in my head at all times. And they were arguing with each other and alcohol made the voices like just, you know, they stopped. There was one summer where I was doing Xanax like every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then drinking on that and like, it gets really dark on one of the nights where I was on Xanax is when, uh, the next day, like my parents sent me to rehab. So uh, what, like, what, like, give me a timeline. How old are you? What year in school are you kind of thing? I'm a senior in college, you know, after a night of like drinking and being on Xanax, I showed up to this therapist in the morning, like barely able to speak. And they were like, your son has to go to rehab or he's going to die. And the, this therapist was probably right. Um, but you know, so I, uh, I went to Karen for a month. Um, um, it wasn't fun. Uh, I don't know if I really wanted to go for me, which is why I don't think it stuck. Um, I got out, I stayed sober for 103 days. I went back to drinking after that. Within a week of that relapse from that 103 days, I was like getting into a drunken bar fight and like getting put in a cop car, you know, one week. You know, when I was counting days, I was really counting down in my mind because I was always like, you know, once I get around 100, that's okay. Like that's enough. Um, and that's just how quickly things got back to where they were for me. That's how quickly things progressed. And like, you know, after the altercation with the the law, you know, I had to do some community service and, and my parents were now aware again that I was back to drinking. And, and so they tried, you know, alternative measures to try and keep me sober. They got this breathalyzer that had a camera on it. It would take a picture of me three times a day. Um, I would fail that breathalyzer test a lot. But then at one point I realized that like, so it would take a picture of me and it would send them an email. And so they didn't have to be around me 24 seven, but you know, I'd have to blow into it at certain hours. I figured out how to make like a fake email that looked just like the one from the company, like Soberlink or whatever it was called. And I was sending them like fake emails that I was passing 
passing these breathalyzer tests and like so you know i was always trying to find a way around what they were doing they put me on this pill called antabuse which it makes you throw up if you drink alcohol and like that's the only effect that's not like a side effect it's like it's supposed to deter alcoholics from wanting to drink and so i was on antabuse for a while um, and then I swapped the antabuse out secretly because they were like making me take it and like administering my my antabuse intake. And I like snuck into the medicine cabinet, like swapped the antabuse out with uh, like sleeping pills. And uh, so I wasn't actually on it. And I just kept trying to find ways around not being able to drink. And the reason I got into some of the other drugs and everything was because there were brief periods where like before, you know, I figured out like the, the sober link stuff and they were really on me. I would kind of just switch drugs. Um, and I would go from alcohol to drinking Xanax. I mean, sorry, not drinking Xanax. I would go from drinking alcohol to taking Xanax. And I was doing, I did Coke every day for like three months. When I look back on it, the main thing that contributed to my relapse was uh, what had developed into like an eating and workout disorder. And it kind of drove me crazy. And it got me to the point where like I was depressed again. I've struggled with depression and I was like depressed again and I was miserable and I was just like, I need, I need to get out of my head and things can't get much worse than this right now. So maybe like drinking, it can't like make things worse. Maybe it'll help. It did not help. And I quickly realized that all the things that I liked about drinking, I did not like anymore. I sound like an idiot every time I speak when I'm drunk and I, I don't want, I don't like it anymore. You know, I used to, I was like, if I don't do this, I'm going to die. If I don't, die i'm gonna be miserable so i have to give up this thing that i love more than anything in the world because you know if i don't then i'm gonna die so i love i love this thing and that was alcohol to me i was like i love alcohol i love being drunk but i have to give it up and i felt like i was like being forced to leave the love of my life and now this time around i do it because i want to i do it because i know it's the greatest decision i've ever made and that like my life is so much better because of it God himself were to come to me and say like, hey, you can drink normally now. I would say like respectfully, thank you very much, Mr. God. But I politely declined because like I don't ever want to go back to like none of that is going to make my life better. I know that just just really trying to delve into learning about me and figuring out, you know, who I want to be, how to become that. Um, what about me is just rooted in like you know, ego versus insecurity and, and, you know, why do I live the way that I do? Why do I act the way that I do? And like, how should I act? And, and how do I do that? And, and through all that, just like personal self-building and life building. And, and, you know, I'm able to separate my, my ego and myself and, and the idea of self and my identity from the art that I make. Like, I am not my art. I am me and I make art. But people, anything that you attach your ego or your idea of self to is what you are going to take personally when people don't like, right? And that's, that's what I've learned. So it's like, if I... If my identity was my music, when someone didn't like my music, I would feel rejected and I would feel like they don't like me. You know, if you anything that you attach to yourself and you could do that with anything. If you if you see your looks as your like value and a part of like what makes you you, then if someone doesn't like your looks, you're going to feel like, oh, wow, they don't like me. But you could just say, like, I am not that. I am, you know, and you decide what makes you you. And if you want to make that a part of your identity, that's fine as well. But, you know, you decide what you value in yourself and what's important to you about you and what makes you you. 
And then at the end of the day, like you can decide to, to, you know, focus on the people who appreciate that aspect of you and, and, and like who you want in your life and who you don't want in your life and whatever. And, you know, so, so basically just to wrap, I mean, to tie back into, mm-hmm. you know, what, what got on this tangent, having fixed like my mindset and my, my outlook on life first. And then now being able to go back and do the things that I've always wanted to do. I definitely think it's, everything's going to be a more enjoyable experience um, because I just know how to kind of live a little more, I don't know, loosely and, and, and enjoyable kind of just like, it's not that deep way. What is one thing that you wish people knew about addiction? I, I want this to apply to addiction and just like certain mental health issues is that like before you make prejudgments about anybody that you see, like consider what they may or may not be going through. Um, I, this is just like anecdotal, but I walk my dog every morning um, and I've become very friendly with this one person who uh, they don't have a home and they live on the street. And uh, very often they're drinking like wine in the morning. They have this like bottle of red wine. And I know that, you know, there are a lot of people out there who didn't get like early you know, recognition of the fact that they were dealing with a disease or any sort of treatment or any sort of compassion and love and ended up really down on their luck. And now, you know, it's very hard. They're in a place where it's hard to make a change and it's hard to make a difference and it's affecting them. And so like, maybe you see like, you know, a, a homeless person on the street and, you know, you might be like, why don't they have a job? But it's like, you know, maybe they don't have a job because, you know, they're dealing with an addiction or a mental health issue and, and, you know, they're not able to get the the help or treatment that they could really use. And it's affecting their ability to hold the job or hold, you know, just, just because I think that if I hadn't gotten sober or I hadn't had the support that I had, or I hadn't had the family that I have, like, I wouldn't have been able to hold a job. I wouldn't have been able to support myself. I wouldn't have been able to, you know, really play a role in building the community around me in, in any positive way. And I know I would have been really down on my luck. And so when I see people who are down on their luck now, um, I'm always like, you know, I wonder what they're going through. And I wonder, and and so I think that, you know, a lot of the people that you see around you, who you're, who you're prejudging and, and deciding that like, you know, they're, whatever the prejudgments are, like they might be going through something that you don't know and like maybe lend a hand instead of like, you know, casting them off. It's true. It's all true. I hope everybody hears that loud and clear (laughs) for all of our listeners. Play it back if you need to, but hear it. Don't just listen, hear what Luke just said. What's one thing you're proud of right now? Um, this is such a lame answer. I'll give you my lame answer and then I'll give you a real answer. The lame answer is me. I'm very proud of me. I'm really proud that I finally decided to follow my dreams. I used to self-sabotage because I thought that if I tried my hardest and I failed, it meant that I wasn't good enough. And now in my life, I know that like there's no worse feeling than knowing that you didn't try your hardest because then you'll always wonder what could have been. And the what if is so much worse than knowing that you couldn't do it. Now, when I can't do something, I'm like, okay, it wasn't for me. Or, you know, like you talked about control and I'm like, okay, the universe doesn't have this in my plan. This is not something that I'm able to accomplish, but I gave it my all and I know that I can't accomplish it. And I can live with that because I tried my best. 
why is he doing this? Does he want to be famous? Like, is he like, none of that matters. I'm doing it because it's fun. And I want to do it the same way that if you want to play basketball, because it's fun, even if you don't think you're going to go pro, just go do it because it's fun and you like it. For more conversations like these, or to find a support system near you, go to generationsos.org.